Hello there, all of our Salty Moms Gone Sober Sassy listeners. Tonight we are so excited about our episode and this pretty cool guy that we've got here with us that I have just been learning all these awesome things about him. Without further ado, let's let Dr. Weston Robbins from Eternal Strength Atlanta take it away. Awesome. Bree, I'm first, I'm humbled and honored and excited to be on here with you. I have to admit that I forgot it was today. You guys do it pretty interesting because it's here, it's like 930 at night and I'm never doing, I mean, I'm working all the time, but I'm never doing stuff like Zoom meetings or other stuff. So I remember when you guys first reached out, I thought it was a very cool concept where you're like, look, we run this late at night once we get our kids to bed and we can kind of think straight. And so I'm just honored to be on here. And I think you guys have a very unique creative platform. And as we were talking, I think you guys are churning out awesome episodes and seasons so you're coming up on your third this is the finishing up the second season and then the third season of salty moms podcast and i just think it's very cool and i'm very glad to be here and i am an open book so i can dive in and tell you some about my story if you want and then we can go from there hell yeah let's do it (laughs) jump right in go ahead so i'm 40 um i have you met my two little daughters story is nine and river is six and then my wife allison and i have been married for 13 years together for 17 almost 18 those three women Bree are my everything, my my life, my rock, my wife and I, man, like she, I don't know where I would be without her and her guidance and love and support and belief in me. And then my daughters have just opened my heart to a whole new level. So my oldest daughter's story is about to be 10 and she has autism, different sensory needs, special needs. She's also got a genetic deletion, something called 16P11.2 genetic deletion syndrome, very long name for a very unique, on her 16th chromosome, um, it didn't fully form when she was in utero. And it's what they call de novo, which means it wasn't passed on genetically from my wife or I. It was just random how it occurred, but there's a lot they know about it, a lot that they don't. But she is beautiful, an angel. And if you hear her in the background, it's because they're getting ready for bed. But she is so creative, so unique, definitely was a lot as our first. And so I'm a very proud parent of a special needs daughter that I feel like is here to teach me and to teach everybody in her life. And that's been beautiful. And then my youngest daughter, River, is six going on seven. And she is neurotypical, but she's a rebel rouser, man. She's wild. I already, she's got this fierce energy where she's like six going on 17. And I'm like, holy shit, here we go. I lead all with that because who I am as a therapist, as a psychologist, stems from who I am as a father, who I am as a husband, who I am as a human being. So that's kind of where I tether into. And then I'll back up and I'll kind of say, so my journey in the field of psychology, counseling, psychotherapy, I come from this lineage. And so my mom has her master's in behavioral analysis. She runs an advocacy center called Safe Path that works with abuse and neglect. And then her mom, my maternal grandmother, my Nana is 91. And she has her EDD in psychology from Vanderbilt University and was the assistant dean at Charleston Southern University and taught psychology for years. I mean, you're talking, I'm like four or five years old getting hit with questions of like, well, Wes, what do you think about human behavior? And what are your thoughts on society and culture? And why do you think people do this? And like expressing and processing my emotions externally, like through the roof. And then my dad, so he went to a military college in Charleston, South Carolina called the Citadel. And I have a funny story that I'll tell about him, but like, he's where I got my love of music from, but he was in the business world. Nothing to do with psychology, really. Worked for different uh, printing companies and a big palette company. But he took me to my first concert when I was 12. He picked me up from middle school and he said, look in the glove compartment. And there was two tickets to the Rolling Stones. And it was like the Voodoo Lounge Tour, 1994, 95. And that was when I was just like, man, mind blown, fell in love with music. And for your listeners that can't see me, I'm what some people would call heavily tattooed. So I have, I have quite a few tattoos. And I 
remember when I was maybe, so my dad got his name and his initials tattooed on his arm when he was like 18. And um, back then, I think his mom found out and made him get it removed, but they didn't have laser removal. So they just use a scalpel and they cut the ink out of the skin. I know, so he had this wicked scar on his arm. And so when maybe I was like 10 years old and we were driving somewhere and he was like, Wes, promise me you'll never get any tattoos. And I was, I was 10. So I was like, yeah, okay, fine, dad. I don't want any tattoos. Fast forward to, you know, 17, 18, and I was just in love with art, with subcultures, with being on the fringes, risk taking. And so that's when I got my first tattoo when I was 18. And that brings me kind of to my journey. So the ages of 17 to 23 were my roughest years, what I call my dark night of the soul. I started smoking weed when I was 17. I was a late bloomer, fell in love with it. My good buddies, or who I so thought were my good buddies, um, they were in their early 20s when I was 17, 18. And we were all working at different music stores like Camelot Music, CD shops at the mall. And basically I got heavily involved in cocaine and methamphetamine and I ran pretty hard for about a year and a half. Now, Bree, I was very lucky. I watched a lot of people just like what I call the walking wounded. Just really, really beautiful artists, musicians, creators, but they were severe drug addicts and it just swept up this whole group of people that I knew. So I hit this place after three arrests, emotional turmoil, fallout with my family, suicidality, depression, anxiety, you know, extreme substance use. I get to probably, I'm like 22, 23. I get away from all the hardcore stuff. I just knew I had to stop. And I was just like, man, I, I'm going to die. I'm going to either end up in jail serving some super long term sentence or I'm going to die. I, I have to come away from this. So I pulled away from the hardcore use, the cocaine, methamphetamine, but I kept going back to weed. And it was, I tried to quit hundreds of times. Now, I don't think that weed is either the devil's plant, nor do I think it's the healing of the nation. I think it's a plant. I think it shifts your consciousness. I can show you a bunch of people who have a healthy regulated relationship and a bunch that have what I had, which was a daily, a meshed, codependent, abusive, addictive relationship with. And that's not the fault of weed. That is the fault of me. And so fast forward to like December 2005, I'm sitting in my apartment. All my legal stuff is behind me. I'm not using hardcore drugs anymore, but I'm miserable. I'm smoking like a half ounce every three days and I'm just not happy. I'm like, man, all my friends are starting to go live their lives and go to grad school and do things. And here I am making eight bucks an hour working at a CD shop. And the biggest thing that I've done in the last seven years is I can outsmoke Snoop Dogg. Like, congratulations, Wes. But I had this panic moment, Brie, where I was like, man, where would my life be right now at 23 years old if I had walked away from my abusive relationship with weed when I was 18? Where could I be right now? This was this kind of haunting fantasy that kept showing up for me. And so that is the last time that I smoked weed. It was December 2005. And I was watching this Chili Peppers DVD. I was thinking about the band and all the different addiction that they've been through. And then I was thinking a lot about my little sister, Hannah, who's six years younger, and just the damage that I'd done to my family, just how I picked drugs over everything else over the last seven years of my life. And so I just had this beautiful, divine, cathartic moment of like, I'm going to change. And what I started to do, Bree, is I would take a book back some water, a couple like protein bars, and I go hike Kennesaw Mountain. And I, I made my goal every day to just go listen to music, pour my life back into arts, into music, into taking care of myself, and into staying in sober consciousness. And so I started to do that repeatedly. And then I went on to finish my bachelor's in psychology from Georgia State, the clinical director of this organization. And I started the PhD and I thought I could do both. And then fall of 2014, I had this massive like anxiety moment where I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do both. That first semester was so insanely academic rigor that I knew I had to pick. And so in 2014, I left that organization and I went into private practice. I found a small little office. I threw all my music and art stuff in there, guitars, everything, books. And I just started to see young people 
<laughs> and it, I went and it, every family that I worked with became like the only family I was working with. And so I went from one day a week to two to three to four. I had three different private practice offices, 2014 to 2019. And crazy stuff was happening, Bree. I was getting calls from parents and they were like, listen, they say you're the guy. My kid's been to three different therapists, two IOP programs. They've been to a wilderness therapy and they're still struggling with anxiety depression, substance abuse, suicidality, self-harm. They say you're the guy. And I'd say, man, if there's any way you can get your, your kid up here, I'd be more than willing. And then they'd come in and I'd just do what I always did. Just be myself as much as I could, tell my whole story. And um, young people would just open up and then parents would call me in tears and they'd say, I don't know how you did what you did, but my kid wants to come talk to you again. And so, and I'll get emotional talking about it, but this became like my mission because I was very, very, from a career standpoint, I was really fulfilled. So I was like, my soul was getting fed. I had a bomb ass 1500 square foot office. I threw a pool table in there. I had a dartboard, flat screen TV. TV. I had posters and music stuff everywhere. So, and like, I was like, man, I'll just do this. I'll do private practice for the rest of my life, write some books, finish my doctoral degree, go on a speaking tour. And then I started to really listen to these kids and what was available for them with mental health. And I got very, very frustrated with the field. And so I started to learn about every different intensive outpatient, every different partial hospitalization. And I started to see this cyclical system of educational consultants, wilderness programs, residential therapeutic boarding school back home, IOP, PHP, psychiatric facility, and young people were just cycling through my office. And so finally I said, yo, you've been to all these places. If you could go do healing work the way you wanted to do it and have it look any way that you wanted, what would that space look like? And me and these young people built eternal strength. We started to draw it out, like literally on a sheet of paper. And they were just like, yo man, there'd be a skate ramp. There'd be a full music studio. There'd be an arts arena. There'd be a video game place. And I'd just like draw it with them. And so then fast forward to early 2020, my wife finds an 8,500 square foot building. Um, I take a leap and I'm just like, I look at my wife and I'm like, yo, this is going to be crazy, but I think I'm just going to go for it. And we opened the doors April 2020, right at the height of COVID. But I still had enough families that were like, we, we can't do virtual anymore. We have to go somewhere. So we had a big outdoor space. And I'd say, just come, we'll stand out back. We'll wear masks. We'll do six feet apart, whatever needs to be done. We started with a team of four and then it grew to 17. And now it's scaled back down to 10. We've served over 300 plus families. Um, it's been the wildest, most exhaustive, beautiful, expansive journey I've ever taken. It's taught me more lessons in the last three years. So we just hit our three year anniversary this April 13th and it's just been beautiful and now where we sit Brie is so eternal strength is a for-profit everything we do is a la carte for the family and we customize care for each family so we sit with the family and we go how much counseling and psychotherapy how much mentoring how many groups we customize care but there's so many families that can't afford and so my wife and I created a 501c3 nonprofit leg called Cosmic Lamb and I'm very proud to say we scholarship over $93,000 in therapeutic support services last year. This year, we're set to do at least that, if not more. Our fundraising goal for this year is $250,000, and beautiful stuff is happening. I'm talking to my community, um, the mayor, the Rotary Club. I'm on a coalition board. We're starting to do many fundraisers this year. So like helping young people, 10 to 25 is what I say, is that radical pilgrimage of growth. Anxiety, depression, substance abuse, self harm, suicidality. I wanted to create something that had never existed before, which wasn't another mental health treatment center. It was a unique blend between a thriving community center with top tier customizable therapeutic care. And so that's what we've done. I'm so proud of my team. And now I'll shut up. I mean, you could keep going like forever because I just am like, wow, this is this is pretty awesome. I mean, 
What does your mom say? <laughs> she's, you know, she's been awesome because I, she is so she's like 72 and she's still working. Of course. And, and so she's given me that gene as well, that like mission oriented workaholic, never rest. Um, but she's like, I, she's just floored. She's excited. She's such a role model for me. She's my biggest role model. What I've seen her do with the community and what she's built has just inspired me even more and she's always believed in me and so you know she's been really cool where it's like she's like even in my roughest and darkest years she said she never lost hope she said she always felt something mm -hmm. that it was going to be okay and so I think that's what I think about more than anything because she's not super concerned with like you know some level of success or me achieving something she wants me to be whole and healthy and I think so I think she worries a little bit because I mean I worked maniacally these last three years and so I'm kind of coming back into alignment and balance and being there for my kids and so now it's more of a balancing but yeah she's really really proud, both my parents, man, and they've just always been super supportive. I'm going to kind of back up in, in your life when you were younger, having um, these female role models that were and are extremely successful in the world of psychology and outreach with youth and teaching and their life's work is this, you know, and like you said, you, you grew up with these questions that most kids aren't asked about how they're feeling or how they're handling something or something like that, which is usually the opposite of what I refer to myself as in recovery from addiction. And so my parents didn't give a fuck what was happening with me. You know, like I, I wasn't getting asked like existential questions or do you want a hot dog or hamburger? <laughs> I wasn't getting asked anything. And most, most children that you know, go get into this like adolescent age do come from more of a, a background like that. And we don't learn any coping mechanisms. You know, we don't learn how to articulate our feelings or just even even how to understand what a feeling is. And we don't have the support system to feel comfortable asking that. And one thing kind of leads to another. That's the road that we're meant to go down. And so you have this bomb ass family, right? Dad's yeah. like, introducing you to rad music that a phase an inspiration to you for your entire life after that. And you're in these empowered females. Oh my gosh. Did you feel a sense of pressure to be as successful as everyone was in your family? No. I mean, what, what, and I think I know kind of where you were driving with some of that questioning is like, it's weird because from like, not only on paper, but in real lived experience, I had an awesome freaking childhood, man. My dad, I mean, my dad worked his ass off, probably wasn't um, around as much as I wanted just because he was working for the family all the time. But like, man, my mom was always there. My dad was always there. My little sister was amazing. Like you said, my dad introduced me to all this awesome music. We went and did event stuff. You know, I always sucked at sports. Like I played baseball for a little bit and got pegged way too many times. I was like, I'm doing. And then I played basketball once. And I scored for the wrong team and I was awful at that. And then, But then I found guitar at 13, fell in love with it. And when I look at my drug use, it, it doesn't fit the typical Gabor Mate trauma model, which is like, hey, there was some type of adverse childhood experience, or it was an abusive or a neglective household, or it was really checked out parents or damaged souls that didn't know how to care for this child. It's like, man, I had all the opposite. I think what happened for me in a lot of my risk-taking, sensation-seeking was I was an artist. I was very creative, very, I was huge impact. And I think the world felt like it was too much. I th so I think when you put me in the right social group that I wanted to emulate, and I thought they were fucking awesome, just the coolest of the cool, these dudes that were like 21, 22, listened to the coolest music, funk, jazz, anything that was on the fringes, I was into. And, and I think when 
because I can remember going through like the D.A.R.E. program and, and it's weird, Bree, because I even remember coming home in like early middle school, like sixth grade or something. And they came into the schools and showed us all the drugs and like brought samples and had them up and the cops talked about them and was like, here's how horrible it is and what it can do to you. And I came home to my mom crying and I was like, oh my God, I'm freaked out. The drugs are going to get me. And she's like, no. They're not going to get you. They, you know, they only get you if you go to them. And I, in my mind, I was like, who the fuck would ever go to these debilitating, life-ruining things? But then fast forward to, you know, I'm 19 years old. I'm in this apartment and I'm watching my friends chop up meth and snort it. And I become very curious looking around the room because these people are not, quote unquote, you know, homeless. They're like, if anything, right, right. <laughs> but if anything, they're like, at that moment, musicians, artists, creative, unique. So my whole narrative was being like blown where I was like, well, maybe, maybe all that's kind of bullshit. And I'm really curious and I'm super impulsive. I kind of want to see what this is about. And so, but when to come back to your question, to not ramble, this is what happens when you get me at 930 at night. I'll just go on this. I've been going all day and I'll, I'll crank into another gear. Um, but I don't, I never felt pressure to have to achieve ever, man. I always felt loved. I always felt like I was enough. Mm -hmm. And so, and I really felt that really intensely from my mom, who I think didn't get that from her mom and her dad. And I think she always did feel some pressure to prove her self-worth. And so she really made my sister and I feel like, nah, you, just who you are is good enough, no matter what you achieve. Now you need to go figure out what you want to do in this world. But I've never felt, you know, and some typical maybe father-son stuff where I want to make my dad proud. But he always tells me, it's like a fucking Hallmark movie. He's mm -hmm. always like, I'm so proud of you. This is wild. That's crazy. That's amazing, girl. Yeah. Guys that you're hanging out with, they're successful musicians. And, and what do we define as success when we're fucking yeah. 17 also? But in your perception was that they were successful and they all probably had apartments and they worked in whatever CD stores that we used to have. What are they, is that what they're called? CD yeah. stores? I, the, yeah. I just fucking called it a CD store. I don't even know. I don't even know what to call it. Like, anyway, so these are the people you look up to because, you know, they're fucking talented. And at this, this passion of yours, music, these are the guys that you want to be like right now. And you are a little bit more of a risk taker and you do like to live a little bit more out on the edge so it's like this is your this was your chance to get addicted to drugs <laughs> <laughs> and breathe but you're so right and even as i think about it, it's the risk it was the risk taking which you know my so my entire dissertation is on addiction and it's what's called an autoethnography okay well I, i'll send you a copy man it's everybody says that and then it's like okay it's pretty intense, <laughs> but it's it's cool because it's different than other dissertations where I was able to take my own lived experience of addiction and weave it into the theory and the research and the literature on addiction. But what kept coming up was like risk-taking and, and risk-taking, sensation-seeking, and impulsivity. That's Those are the three things that drew me to being on the fringes and using. But even if I go back before any of my drug use, you know, it was... Any risk taking, I can remember being with my buddy Scott and we would get together all the time and we would do the wildest stuff, man, like streak Starbucks. We'd like run around, run around and do that. At one point I had a little Suzuki Samurai and we took it off roading and it got stuck on a log. And then we walked over and there was this line of bulldozers and one of them had the keys in it and it was far away from the workers. So we started that bulldozer, drove it back to my car to try and get it off of the log then we kept the keys, went back, drove the bulldozer later. Like, so all these things I can kind of go back and trace now. It was whenever I got around somebody that was unique and had this passion for life that was really intense and was like, dude, what should we go do right now? What potentiality does the day hold? That was my danger zone. 
And so once that got combined with these guys that I thought were cool, and there was two in particular, man, Josh and Robert. Robert's passed away. He was a Marine Reserve, beautiful human soul, but he was, his energy was so pure and honest, but he was battling all these demons. He was battling drug use, but there was still the creative, unique, exploratory, experiential, like, let's just go experiment kind of thing. And so I can see now how, and I write about this a lot. I don't think addiction, when I hear the word addiction, I've kind of redefined it a bit. I think is it's an energy and it's what I like to call molecular. So it sits in this in-between space where it can either fold in on itself, becoming it can become a black hole, it can become rigid, um, more molar, diseased, and basically self-destructive, or it can pivot to this other thing where it really can become a line of flight and open doors and become one of the most creative potential energies that has ever existed. So I kind of view it really like a sword. And so when I had this sword that was this like really powerful thing, this like creative, unique addiction energy, but I didn't know how to wield it. I just hurt myself and I hurt others with the sword. But when I figured out how to wield it, Brie, it's everything that built the center. It finished my PhD. It's everything that I am. I love it and I'm I'm grateful that I have this addictive energy that flows through me. I just had to learn about it, understand it, and utilize it for creative potentiality and growth and not destruction. Isn't it amazing that we are grateful for our addiction? Absolutely. Our bottoms, our darkest, darkest moments that I never want to relive again. Yeah. No, don't take me back. But that—that that is who I am. That is my passion. Like that is yeah. my drive, and that is—I'm not a alcoholic and a cokehead. I am a passionate person about these things that I've experienced in my life. And when I had the gift of desperation, like when you had that cathartic moment, and this was like after you cut out the big drugs and you were know you were just, you know, smoking Mother Nature's whatever. Um, and But still, um, you had it and you just had it. And like that was your moment of opportunity. And you, for some reason, and like I always say this, it's fleeting. All the stars have to be aligned. All the the feelings that you're feeling inside you, the negative feelings need to be negative. The positive feelings need to be positive. The desperation needs to be desperate. The hope or lack of hope at all needs to be there. And then your willingness. Yes. You had that at 24. Yep. You had that. And I and you're right. I'm so I'm filled with nothing but gratitude. And I think I want I want young people to hear that in a way because I've had some young people hear my journey and then think that like, yeah, okay, I need to go have my own dark night of the soul. And it's like, man, I I don't think you, you do. And I think you're gonna have it no matter what. It's just how much are you gonna act out ritualistically externally that that you need to. And 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 you know, it's so interesting to watch with addiction because some people, you're right, all those stars will align all those different things and then they won't have that and it really is it's a giant surrendering it's a willing to a willingness to say what i've been doing isn't working and i have to pivot my whole life and i have to i have to reground and redevote to something else and to taking care of myself and to health and to wellness and to growth and it really is i mean not to make it too cliche sounding but it's like in that moment are you going to choose life or death and and it may be more abstract you know because it's like many people go on to live but it's a life that they don't want to even be alive for they're the walking mm-hmm. dead and that's where i love gabor mate talks about the realm of the hungry ghost and it's like when you look on the buddhist wheel of life and you see the hungry ghost these figures the petras that have these like shrunken mouths and shrunken necks and swollen bellies and they're you know set to roam the earth seeking satiation but they can never get satiated and they just everything they consume turns to fire turns to more desire that is addiction and so it's Yeah, you go, man, what I've been trying to feed isn't satiating me. I got to find it somewhere else. And that's where I think spirit and essence and art and music and connection and alignment with self, when that is the greatest high I've ever experienced. All the, the other altered states of consciousness have paled in comparison to feeling in alignment with yourself. And these are experiences that you are able to speak to when you're working with these 
adolescents that have gone through the system, gone through the fucking written IOP that everybody gets, but just it's like the standardized test of substance abuse. Yeah. Here, just do this, just get better. And it's like, wow, that's not it. No, obviously not. But how, how much trauma, other life experiences. I mean, these children that are like, seriously at risk and living like have lived these risky lives and you don't know what they came home to like they may have watched their mom put cigarettes out on their siblings you know they may have lived on a meth compound where there's just trailers all around in an orange field in a barn with someone that lived in a trailer that molested them. They may, like, they may be molested by another family member. They may not be hurt by anybody, but have all the pressure of taking care of their younger siblings. And not everybody knows how that can manifest and manifest into something very, very dangerous and something that we do not believe can be turned. Yep, yep. Especially at a young age. And and I always think about this one quote that, says be kind because everybody you know is fighting a hard battle you know nothing about and i think about that like you know i don't want to simplify but it's like when you look it's so it's really empathy but it's empathy at an extreme level and it's the ability when you meet another human soul especially a kid an adolescent a young adult a youth and you can have eyes of curiosity and and take away all preconceived judgment, which we all have, but then really begin to sit with somebody and have an open invitation to want to know who they are, to want to understand their story and what they've been through. But that takes time, mm-hmm. you know, because so many of us wear so wear masks and especially with adolescents coming into mental health and mental health treatment and counseling and psychotherapy they're so used to having the doctor's gaze or a clinical eye on them dissecting them that they've just put up this really good narrative of like i'll just tell the counselor or the therapist this and so i've had so many young people tell me man you're the first person i met with that i felt like really gave a shit and was really being honest about who you were. I even had one kid tell me one time, it was awesome. He came into my office and I have all these like, this is my home office, but on my bookshelf in my office, I have all these different stuff. He said, dude, when I first came in, I was like scoping your office and there was a bunch of cool shit I was going to steal. <laughs> and then he was like, but dude, you started talking and you were like so honest. I was like, oh man, I can't steal from this guy. And I was like, okay, cool. Good to know, man. Good to know. Sweet. (laughs) I'm going to start putting a lock on all this shit now. Yeah, but I mean. But like you don't even have to ask questions when you are having an experience with these people like it's it's coming out it's that is the realest that is the truest that is the most honest emotion that you could you are experiencing things with these people and that's building that therapeutic alliance with trust like so much trust these kids haven't fucking trusted a god damn soul ever in their lives for the most part you know we can't speak for all of them but for the most part everybody they look at is a walking talking contradiction that they know how to say yes your honor no your honor I yes I found myself today and I am blah 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 so I got through the program great thanks back to the streets yep A hundred percent. And I think it starts with, if you can be honest with yourself, then you can hold the sacred space to be honest with somebody else. But especially young people, man, they can, they're so keen to be able to figure out, they can even pick out if you're lying to yourself, you know? And so it's like, man, you got to do a lot of your own work. And then you really got to, um, I mean, these young people have saved my life. They're they the teach coolest. you. Oh my God. And they're the coolest and most unique. And again, man, it's like, I wouldn't have gone on this mission if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for feeling like they needed a different space, and if it wasn't for knowing that I could build a team of healers that could do true growth, holistic work in a way that wasn't uh, behavioral modification or um, conformity. 
Because I think a lot of these programs, and especially parents and families will get caught up in, I just need my kid to do this, to stop these behaviors and to do these behaviors. And for us, everything is relationship. So everything becomes, yeah, I want to help you move away from self-destructive behaviors, but I also know you're your own person. You make your own choices. This is your body, your vessel. You have ultimate free will. So I'm just going to, I like to kind of pull from Ram Dass and he says, if I can make myself an, an ecologically healthy environment, then when other people get around me, they have an invitation and I model for them what holistic health can look like. And if they're ready, I could help guide that. But if they're not ready for it, then I'll still cruise with them, man. And these kids, you know, I think about it all the time, but I love them no matter what, no matter where they're at on their journey, you know? And that's what I needed when I was younger. I needed, I just needed a place that um, no matter what was going on, I could go to and I felt like people really gave a shit and, and weren't going to try and scold me or judge or criticize, but were really had my best interest at heart and would have been like, Wes, man, you can go do whatever you want, dude. But I'm telling you right now, man, I don't think that's going to help. And I'm here if you need anything. I love you, brother. You know, yeah. and like that had the most influence and impact on me when I was younger. And so that's what we try and do at the center is we have this team that is very um, loving, caring, relational, and every single person on my team wants to do this work. Like it feeds our souls. Mm -hmm. And so we feel like it's this amazing gift to be able to sit with young people on their journey and not to tell them what to do or to make their decisions for them, but to literally just carve a sacred space be our truest selves and and show them how powerful they are and love them as much as we possibly can so they can start to see how beautiful they are. Live with them, experience yep. with them, be their part of their life because yep. then, then that's what they think about. I met a fork in the road and like I've been working with, you know, Dr. Weston um, for however long. And like, this is what we did when something frustrated happened, something frustrating happened. And like, uh, you know, I just like my, my mom, and my dad, like they, they don't, they, they don't understand that I just need some freedom and I just need some time to myself. And they are pressuring me to do this, this and that. And, you know, when I'm with my psychologist, we're doing things to get out of that. Like no one needs to tell me to not do something or to do something when I've learned how to experience those things and understand what the outcome is and see if I like it or not myself. Because when someone fucking tells me to do something, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, but that's a beautiful space to start from, Bree. When you meet with a person, you go, look, man, this is your life. You, all your choices, you get to decide all your emotions, your thoughts, everything. But I would be honored to, I want to learn about you. And then to say like, um, I can't make any of your choices for you. I'll give you my opinion, but I'm going to love you no matter what direction you go with it. And then it, it is, you know, on a, on a hardcore level, when we get to a higher end of like in, intensive self-harm or suicidality or extreme drug use, typically at that point, we have enough relationship and enough connection. All these kids know, man, we get, we care about them more than anything. So even if it gets to a place where we're like, yo, gotta let us help you or please go do this 30 day treatment, or please go into this residential. They're usually at the place where they know um, that we we are coming from a place of love and truly what's in their best interest and greatest good, and they're willing to listen to us. Right. But so much- You wouldn't misguide at- Yeah. And they trust in that. So I wanna ask you about the short movie, the film that you yeah. guys created, Everything is Fine. Yeah, so yeah. That, that I, it's not our creation. That is my good buddy, Christian Jansen. Christian runs, Jansen. Yep, and he runs a nonprofit called Most High Media. Yes. Yep. Okay, so that's his name. I just think of him as Most High Media. Yeah. So and Christian Jansen. Pretty much everybody thinks of him as Most High Media, but he, we met a couple years back and him and his wife are amazing. And they, he's been running Most High Media for over a decade and it's, they call it the Netflix of recovery. And so he's got, he was actually, uh, for years, he worked with Steve Harvey. Really? And did, uh, yeah. So he did all like film, audio, visual, um, editing stuff. And 
then he was in um, the music industry for a while, but he's really faith-based and created Most High Media. And so everything they do is for the addiction, recovery, and sobriety community. And he works alongside of like uh, No Longer Bound and Vision Warriors, all these really cool recovery programs. But he was um, wanting to do like a day in the life of me and then some footage of the center. And then it turned into this bigger short film where he's got different healers, practitioners, um, a couple different therapists are doing work with psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and um, a couple neuroscientists. And so he compiled it all. I haven't even seen it i know the parts that he came and he's editing it right now and the first time i'm going to see it is when they premiere it so we rented out a movie theater and it's going to premiere april 27th and i just know i was interviewed that's gonna be epic yeah that's gonna be awesome man there's a cool theater up the road in roswell and so it's 140 seats and Anybody can RSVP for free, and we're just going to go there, but that'll be the first time I see it. And I know he came over to my house, filmed a lot, filmed a lot at the center, interviewed me, interviewed my clinical director, Kara, one of my mentors, Mike. And so we're all just, we keep laughing every day. We're like, what if we go there? And it's just like, he totally took us out of context and overdubs our voices, saying horrible stuff. But like, we we know, but I'm I'm goofing. It's going to be amazing. I'm just very excited to see it. I mean, the snippets are fucking powerful. Viewing that short film is going to be probably pretty intense for you. Yeah, and then I want to let everybody know listening. So like Most Time Media has an app that you can download entirely for free. And once we screen it, that documentary or that short film will be up on the app for anybody to go watch. That is how we will be able to see it. And and there's already a bunch of documentaries up there that are amazing. But yeah, you'll just be able to download that app and then watch. Um, Everything is fine. Also, with eternal strength and the idea of that, what you do as a psychologist and a doctor and what your team does, I saw this clip where someone just asks beautiful soul um what is eternal strength to you and she's it's safety it's it's where i feel safe my family and like she's getting it yeah yeah and she's so cool getting it you don't don't even know brie like her i'll leave her name out of it but she's like i've known her since she was 16 and so she was in my private practice for years and now comes up to the center with her brother and she i've watched her grow in so many different ways and and again man it's like i want to build this this crew of young people that can really have empowered voices and so it's not about like trying to get them to articulate eternal strength in some way it truly is like yo yo yo, what does eternal strength mean to you Mm -hmm. like what is we also use what we call radical youth work and my committee for my dissertation um this beautiful married couple dr hans and kathy scott meyer they've written on radical youth work for 20 plus years but i like to ask the kids like what do you think radical youth work is what does mental health mean to you what you know and then and then we engage in this uh beautiful dialogue and discourse of like instead Instead of me telling you what it is, I really want to hear your voice. And so, yeah, when she did that video, I flew these two guys in, man, from San Diego. And they were they were doing uh, video work, like filmography, for this brand called Servants that I really like. And it's uh, run by this dude, Carlos, and it's a lot of ex-gang members that are super faith-based. But they filmed the dopest videos I've ever seen. And I was like, and then I found out the kid, and I call him a kid, he's a young guy um, compared to me. And his name was Tudor brain uh marcello he's on instagram and i hit him up and i was like dude do you ever like travel anywhere and he's like i haven't but i will and i was like yo would you come in and like we're doing this big music event could you film a couple days at the center and then get me all that footage and that's one of the videos that he filmed and so he was out with his buddy marcello shout out to marcello and sergio and they came in and filmed but everybody brie were so blessed because everybody that hears about us and shows up is like whoa this place is awesome wait a minute what do you do again and then (laughs) you're right (laughs) and then we break it down how is this happening again (laughs) but she's the girl in that video man just oh um, god yeah she's 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 speaking language of the heart yeah absolutely because she's 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 living it 
Yeah. Now, I mean, she didn't have, even have to say that. I yeah. could hear it in her voice and see it in her eyes. And well, her face is kind of turned, but you could you could see it. Yeah, yeah. It's real. Yeah. It's real. And that's Brie. That's the thing I'm the most proud of. Oh man, if I mean that's like it, this has been very hard to build and to deal with, um, you know, uh, economics and financial and like overhead and expenses and P and L's and cash flow and balance sheet and all the shit that comes with running an organization and then the nonprofit and figuring out. How do we do that and fundraising and um, grants and everything's growing. But like what makes it all worth it for me is when I, these young kids, man, they want to be up there. They really dig it. And, and it's like, you can see that. And that's unheard of in mental health. Most of the time, these young people are getting their arms twisted to go see a counselor, see a psychologist, do an IOP. But it's like, man, all these young people are on this radical pilgrimage of growth. And I just wanted to create a space that felt like home, that felt safe, that felt like they could be their truest selves. They can take off every single social mask that they're wearing and they can explore their true potentiality. And that's like happening in real time. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like even today, Brie, it was the dopest, man. I was, we have a, a little garage area. It's not even little, it's this giant warehouse. <laughs> I don't know why I said little. It's packed on the back of the building. Here. We have this mansion. Um, well, we do. We have an 85. We, have, we call it a, the hut. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I'm back there and I had a session with this one young guy and he's playing guitar and so i'm playing bass and we're just jamming something and we were talking checking in and then another young person comes in and i'm like they're wearing a green day t-shirt and green day is their favorite band and i'm like yo let's play a green day song and so i start playing it and that young person's like no 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 Wes, you're playing it wrong here let me play it they get on the bass start jamming so then i go and get on the drums and i can't play drums at all but i'm trying to do something and then another young person walks in and i'm like yo you can play drums they get on the drums and these three young people jammed for the first time ever with each other while they're waiting for like group and individual sessions. And it was the coolest, most organic jam. And Brie, I step back, I'm watching it happen in real time. And I'm like, I did it, man. I fucking did it. Did it. Yeah. You're doing it every day. It feels so good, man, when that's happening. And I know that's helping them. And I know they have a place that they believe in, that they want to come to. And so that's the stuff that keeps me going. And then the community support, Brie, has been insane. And that's, that's amazing. The parents, the families have come together and taken up the mission. So I got done with that. And then I went and got on a Zoom call with our Monday committee. That is our like unofficial fundraising committee. And we're talking about doing a golf tournament this year, doing a concert, doing a couple mini fundraisers. It's nuts and beautiful and amazing. And and the the kids, the adolescents can be part of all of that, right? Yes. So we do what we have going on is we're doing all these free community events that I try not to make like giant fundraisers. Because fundraising is this new thing that we're now going to try and do on a big level to get the word out okay. because there are so many families that can't afford services. And right now we're scholarshipping on average about $15,000 a month in therapeutic support services. So we're trying to raise $250,000 for this year. The community events, we let people know like, hey man, you can make donations. We're tie-dyeing t-shirts. You know, we're doing this different stuff. But then there's going to be other more formalized, like real fundraising events that the kids will be at. But I, I want to keep them not separate, but it's like, I don't want every time that we have a free community event at the center for me to be like, okay, come on guys, we got to raise all this money. It's like, now I have a team of people in the community that are like, we're going to put together these really structured fundraising mm -hmm. events. Right. That's how nonprofits do it. So we'll have a couple golf tournaments, a concert, um, another house party kind of thing, mini thing. But then the stuff we're doing at the center, we're doing all the time, no matter what. And it's for the kids. And then people get to come out and see the center. So we're doing our third annual art show. We're going to do a field day in July. We're going to do an addiction panel that's open to the whole community. Um, we're doing this theater um, thing with the 
with the short film. So like that stuff's going to be happening no matter what. And we just want to give back to the community and have them be able to show up at that and then let them know about the mission too, as these other kind of things get formulized. This works. This is serious. This is real. This is an investment into the future of America. I hope because This is allowing these children to love themselves. They don't have to change who they are because they're they're, they're not broken. They're not poison. They're yep. not this awful thing that this definition of whatever they believe safe hate, self hatred is yeah. or what whatever they believe they are that negative that negative feeling that they are that piece of shit that they are that I'm never going to be anything else. This is the life I'm meant for and then they experience real happiness and they learn in these moments from these therapy experiencing yes, these the, moments the, with the them yep. and and they're learning to love themselves because nobody the fuck around them is telling them you don't need to be yourself yeah. you you be yourself yeah. like let's look at those qualities that you have and build on that shit yeah i know you don't say it to them like that but no. <laughs> build on that shit jimmy come on <laughs> you, you, you do, man. and so it's so just raw and honest and then it really is about every single human soul that walks in the doors of eternal strength we want to know know about and so even if they walk into the center and you know they're not into like music or art we will be like what are you into we really are like curious and hungry to know what you care about so we have one kid come in and he wanted to build a fort to like make a sword and he was like do you guys have a forge and we were like no but we'll build one with you and so like him and a mentor went over to home depot and they got on youtube and they looked at how to build a forge and they started working on that in the backyard so it's like it's that to me is the heart of experiential mentoring and healing is like what are you interested in what do you give a shit about how can we work with you on that to find Find your true self and turn it into a therapeutic healing journey. And that self-efficacy that's yes. created in that person is just, they don't even know it. I'm sure that right as they're doing that, as they're YouTubing how to do this thing and they're going from start to finish, that feeling at the end, that thing they've learned about themselves is self-efficacy yeah. and it means they know. Yes, you said you would self-efficacy and them seeing that. Yes. Uh, so I do want to ask, where do you see a lot of your clients? Where do you see them branching out and growing outside this safe space that they have and being able to create? So now they know what a safe space feels like. Yeah. So they can create a safe space and they have learned that if I'm not in a space that makes me feel safe, I have the power to stand up, yeah. say, fuck you, and walk away. Yeah. And like that is empowerment right there because they're these kids are beaten down and think that they're just like fucking pieces of shit that either have to listen or break the rules. It's like one or the other. Right. And and it's like, so am I, which which path am I going to take? But it's someone who's experienced what learned firsthand how to create a safe environment, how to how to take that environment in and allow themselves to trust that environment. All of these learning, life learning experiences that some people will never fucking learn yeah. in their entire life, ever. Yeah. Like these these kids are learning. These some of them growing outside of the program. Yeah. And so Bree, that's like super important for me. So I was talking with my creative director, Ty, and we, so we have a big vision for the center. One, we want to expand on acreage and I want to be able to expand our services to have an alternative wilderness, an alternative residential and an alternative IOP PHP, which is kind of what we are now, but then really have a thriving community center where young people can come. And we have supervision all the time because right now we're doing a lot of the one-on-one work and it's not like people can come up there and free flow all the time. Mm-hmm. Because we have so many sessions going on. So eventually I want to have that and grow that out. And then as young people leave, I want them to always be tethered to the community. 
so they can come back to our community events. So even if they've come up to the center and they've done mentoring therapy, done a bunch of growth work, they're still part of our alumni, part of our community. They can come to any of our community events. And then I'd love for them to feel empowered enough to create many eternal strength social clubs wherever they're at. So any college, university, campus, at high schools, just the ability, like all you need is a group of like-minded people. And you guys can go meet in your community, whether that be at another community center, at a Starbucks, at a college campus. It's like, man, the coolest thing in the world is to empower these young people to know that they don't have to wait on anybody else and they can do it themselves. So there's a college campus called Kennesaw State University. And we have a couple young people that have come to the center and now going up there and they meet regularly at a certain time. And then it's like, but just the ability to start to do that, because it's like you said, it's one thing to be able to build a a healing utopia, but then it does no good if you can't satellite take that back into the community. And that's where we plan to, I would really love to build a program within eternal strength that can basically build a resume for these young people. So as they're up at the center doing healing growth work, experiential mentoring, social skills, financial literacy, all the different stuff that they're learning while they're up at the center, then they can take that, have a resume, and then we can have all these relationships in the community with different employers, organizations, and they can be like, yo, I went to eternal strength. So instead of it being like a shame-based thing, like I went to this mental health treatment center and worked on these things, it can be... I went to a growth-oriented place to work on my holistic health, mind, body, and soul, learned all these things, and then people in the community will know, oh, yeah, man, we know eternal strength. That's awesome. We'd love to hire you here. And so any of that empowerment, and as as young people, if they are listening to this, I think it's it's the ability for them to go ahead and formulate those gatherings Mm -hmm. and just really trust in themselves to say, let's get people together. Accountability. Yep. And that's all you need is like, let's meet every Wednesday at 630. Yep. And just start talking about things that we care about. That builds confidence. People starting, people trusting you. People believe they're learning that, like that accountability and, you know, the fact that they are capable, they're willing, they're capable, they want to do this. Like they want to continue doing this and creating that safe space that they had in the in the world because that's how they're going to live the rest of their life because now they know how it feels and that's the only way that they're going to want to live. Yes. So they're going to teach it to others. Yeah. And they're, you know, it's just like that is the circle that we need to see happening, not the one you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know, and people don't get that yet. And it is people like you, you, your wife, your family, because I know that like you sacrifice time with them. It sounds like a lot of people that are involved with what you do have some pretty close knit families. Yeah, and a lot of support. I wrote, I wrote this little thing, Bree, when we first started, because I was cruising, like I said, private practice on my own, and it was me, myself, and I, and I didn't mind that until I got really frustrated, and I was like, man, I don't have anywhere to refer these kids that I believe in. I mean, there's good places and good therapists and good counselors doing good work, but the young people were not resonating. There was no time that a young person came to my office and said, man, I just went to this awesome outpatient program. I just went to this amazing, you know, um, holistic therapeutic place. And so I was like, man, I know I can build a spot that they'll want to be at and they can do really good work. And I wrote down, I have to build a family to help the families. And so I think about my team like that, where I'm like, man, we had to build a family. And so my team really is my family. And we've been through all types of growing pains. And there's several people that were along for the ride that aren't. And um, I, I love them. I wish them the best. Anybody that's ever been a part of Eternal Strength, even in the early days, I wish them nothing but success and the best and where they go. But I'm telling you right now, we have the strongest team I feel like God was putting chess pieces where they need to be. And so now we're, we're family, man, and we're moving forward and helping these families. And I'm sure there will be iterations and shifts in that as the years go by. 
you know, because mm-hmm. this is my life's work. And yeah. so I'm sure our team will grow, our family will grow, the families we serve. But if that didn't happen, you would be complacent. And you know what complacency yeah. does for us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see you as, a, as, as someone that sits in complacency very no. well, though. No. <laughs> so. no. And just the hope that other highly educated people with, I got to say, there's something for the street cred. <laughs> So it's kind of having these alternative like-minded people that are open and willing to say, hey, I don't have to follow these. Like, I don't have to do this standardized psychology with people because it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Yes, great basis of things, but expansion, fluid growth has to happen with everything to keep things moving in a positive direction and reduce that chance of becoming stagnant, that chance of becoming complacent. Some people are just not comfortable with that. And some people rock the fuck out of that. And it sounds like you and your people rock the fuck out of it. Free. You're you're awesome. It's again, it's my life's work. And as you were talking, I think about um, what Carl Jung said. And he said, listen, when it comes to counseling and psychotherapy and, and psychology and psychoanalysis and the human psyche, he said, learn it all, understand it, study all the theories, all the methodologies. And as soon as another human soul enters the room, let all that shit go. So it's, it, it's like, you know, I do truly believe at the core that the most healing thing we have is human connection Mm. and trust and honesty. And when another human soul sees you fully and reveals themselves fully, I like how Martin Buber says it. He says, when two people authentically and honestly connect with one another, God is the electricity that runs between them. Bree, this this has been awesome. Yeah, I thank you so much. I really so appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. And, And then for anybody listening, if they have any questions at all, they can email me. Um, and I'm sure you'll put up my email, but I mean it even like I've had families email me from different parts of the United States and just say, Hey, I got this going on. Can you help with this? And I welcome all of it. It may take me a bit to respond, but I'll get back to every single person. Awesome, awesome time. Thank you.